I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Mike Gormley Show. Mike Gormley is the founder of Los Angeles Personal Development, a boutique music management and public relations firm. Mike has achieved top recognition as a journalist, a record company executive, an artist manager, and music supervisor for TV and film. His work has brought the world such successful artists as film composer Danny Elfman, massively successful pop band The Bangles, and helped launch the careers of such diverse artists as Rod Stewart, Rush, BTO, The Police, and Supertramp. Mike Gormley Show brings the world's biggest music icons and management to you. And now, your host, Mike Gormley. Good morning, Santa Barbara, and all the people in the world who are listening in via the internet. Uh, this is the Mike Gormley Show, heard on KTMS Radio uh, in Santa Barbara, 990 AM, 97.9 FM. And uh, there's a few of the um, other areas that uh, we pop up, like KOR Radio in London and uh, Soul of India Indy in New York, uh, several others. And, and uh, Radio Candy in Los Angeles is a great one. Um, and we're on the YouTube, so you can go, we're everywhere. Uh, so I'm Mike Gormley, who um, in the past has included uh, musician, journalist, record executive, and artist manager. And when I was uh, a record executive, I had the uh, honor of working with uh, um, one of the greatest, I was going to say Canadian, but actually any greatest guitarist you can find in the world, in, in the, the world of pop rock, and for that matter, jazz. Uh, Randy Bachman is with us here today. Um, uh, hi, Randy. How you doing? I'm good. I'm up in Canada, and it's a nice day. Good. You're out in like, you're not in Vancouver. You're out in the islands, right? Yeah, well, in Victoria on Vancouver Island, which is much nicer than Vancouver. Yes, it is. It certainly is. Although Vancouver's not bad. It's no, not, it's pretty good. As cities go. Um. Anyway, the, the I want to catch up on what's going on. Um. I I called you about coming on the show because I had to chance to see BTO perform about a month ago in Los Angeles. Uh, at the end of the show, you yelled, BTO is back. Where's BTO been? What's going on? Uh, BTO's been arguing. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a band and you're with your brothers, there's no difference between playing on stage 
and thinking of last Christmas when he got a bicycle and you got a yo-yo. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're pissed off at him or whatever. Or or Bob liked him best, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So um when BTO kind of ended, which was kind of the late 70s, when rock and roll ended, the the doobies packed that in, ZZ Top packed that in, Aerosmith, everybody went on a hiatus because disco came in, which is like one girl or one guy singing to a, a digital tape, and there was no rock and roll in bars anymore. They altered into discotheques. So everybody took a little break. Uh, then, um, through happenstance, my brother, the younger brother, Robbie, you know him, the drummer, mm -hmm. uh, my dad said to me, my dad was passing away, so on his, in his last little time on earth said, would you let your brother Robbie use the BTO so he can earn a living? Because there was nothing going on. And I said, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna use my name, Randy Backman. I, I want to keep back Turn Overdrive, but he can use the BTO. So he took the BTO and he went and made some money and toured the world as BTO. Uh, he passed away last year. I lost all three of my brothers in the last two years because of COVID. And so I'm the last surviving of the four Backman boys. And I got the BTO back. So when I said BTO is back, that means I could use that again legally without cease and desist and all that stuff going on. And it's really good. But as you saw the show, we honor BTO the way it was. We show my brother Robbie on drums playing away. He was an incredible drummer. Yeah, we, yeah. We show Fred Turner. The whole band is up on screen. It's kind of like Leonard Skinner. We're keeping the, the music going. And I'm the last surviving guy. My son Tal has joined me. And there's pictures of Tal playing drums when he was two. With when we were just starting BTO in the, in the like the early seventies, he was two or three back then. And so he's kind of evolved being into the band and drummed with me on many of my projects. So we're continuing the BTO thing going, and the fans are loving it. And we're getting requests uh, through YouTube saying stuff like, "We're going to drive six hundred miles to hear Little Gandy Dancer. We've never heard it in our life on stage, or we never heard Shotgun Rider." Or anything think we never heard the or you play these songs. So we kind of have a set list and we we vary off it because we've got to play the standard taking care of business that ain't seen nothing yet and stuff. Uh and we go and play what the audience wants. That's just a lot of fun. Do you include any uh guess who numbers in there? Or it's just yes, oh you do? No, because we've had so many fans asking. They said, look, you wrote all the hits for the Guess Who. How about doing those? And so two or three songs into the set, like we opened Roland on the highway. It showed the trucks. It shows our European tour, which I think you saw way back in the mid-70s. Mm -hmm. With Sace, Sace Wessels. Remember him in, over in uh, Holland? Yeah. And uh, and then, it, then I say, well, I was in another band. We're going to give you some of their songs. And my first hit was Shaken All Over. We, we do Shaken All Over. We go right into these eyes, laughing, undone. No Time, American Woman, No Sugar Tonight. And then we're back into BTO. Then we do Stayed Awake All Night and and all the hits. So people are getting like double the money. It's like going to see Paul McCartney. You, you get a Beatles song, you get a Wings song, and you get some of his own songs. Sure. And I'm very, I'm very lucky to have had six or seven or eight hits with each band that's very recognizable, plus the odd album cut that was, you know, an album radio favorite back in the day. Not a single, but... Got a yeah. lot of play on, on FM radio. Now, BTO got a lot of FM play before, um, you know, heading on to hits. Right. Uh, uh, Let It Ride. And um, um, I'm trying to remember, there was a really quite jazzy one, Blue 
Blue collar. Blue collar, yeah, wonderful, but really jazzy, yet it was, yet it had the same kind of punch as the other songs. Well, it was the only diverse song. The whole first album was us trying to rock out. And and uh, I'm not a blues-based guy. I'm a jazz-based guy. Because my first guitar mentor, who I hung out with, Lenny Bro, was one of the great jazz guitar players of all time. And he was only a year older than me. So when I was learning finger-picking, like Chet Atkins style, it evolved into Howard Roberts, Barney Kessel, Tel Farlow jazz stuff, rather than blues. Blues is pretty easy. It's all like one scale and a bunch of feel. Yeah. Jazz, jazz is very a mechanical and very uh, numerical and, and very much like arithmetic with all kind of numbers and chords and different notes in the chords. Uh, so I had a bit of that. So to make the album a little bit different rather than a blues song. And when you're a white guy from Winnipeg, you can't really authentically do the blues. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, we put that jazz song on blue collar. And I also had a jazz song earlier with the guess who she's come undone. That was the same kind of influence. And then I wrote one later on called Looking Up for Number One that was on, on the BTO Head On album. So every once in a while, I like to get into a little jazz thing and just have a little bit of fun doing that because it's different. Sure. Well, it. I was going through some of the music and uh, that I remember was probably one of my favorite songs when we were listening to your album before it even came out. Just yeah, caught my, caught my ear. It was, it was nicely done. It still gets a lot of airplay. And my great thrill was... I, I released a couple of jazz albums for fun and I was opening for George Benson at the Toronto Jazz Festival mm. a couple of years ago. And he came up to me and said, I'm driving around in Detroit. I hear this song on the radio. It's on rock radio. I can't believe it. It's a jazz song with great jazz guitar and a double time jazz ending. And I found it was BTO and I love that song. So for me from George Benson, that was like a big deal. That was sure. really of big. Course. Of course. But Lenny Bro was a big deal. I mean, I, I don't know how many people would know his name, but he's a very, he influenced a lot of people in Canada, at least, maybe beyond. Is that right? Yes, I think uh, the NAMM show is going on right now in L.A. Whenever I've been to a NAMM show, which I've gone for the last 20 years, and for people who don't know, NAMM is National Association of Musical Merchandise, where you go... And you see all the latest guitars and pedals and synths and drums and everything. And I'd be walking around there and, and every guitar player would come up to me and say, thank you for the Lenny Bro stuff. Because as a thank you to Lenny Bro, basically taught me two years of guitar and I learned my vocabulary from him, what to play, what not to play. He always played me Chet Baker and said, play like he sings. He sings and he waits. Then he sings and he waits. Then you appreciate it. So you got to, you can't just play guitar and do a bunch of notes. Pretend you're breathing. you got to play the thing and then take a breath and then think of what you're going to play. So he's also taught me some playing etiquette. So all these guitar players are coming to me saying, thank you for the Lenny Bro stuff. I started my own label called Guitar Archives, and everybody started to, to donate me Lenny Bro Live. So I must have on the Guitar Archives website six or seven Lenny Bro CDs that I gathered tapes and cassettes and cleaned them up and mixed them up and released them for all the Lenny Bro fans. And since then, his kids have come forward and I've given them all the tapes. But I wish somebody like um, Johnny Depp, who's quite a good guitar player and looks like Lenny used to, kind of like a pirate with a little mustache and the hair. I wish he would do the Lenny Bro story. Because I've got 2,000 hours on CD, digitally, of Lenny Bro that I don't know what to do with anymore. There's no record stores. I used to sell these to record stores and stuff. 
And I don't know if anybody's interested. If anybody is interested through you, they can get a hold of me. I've got hundreds and hundreds of hours. I'll, I'll clean up ready to release of Lenny Bro in every stage. And he played country and rock and jazz and Indian and classical and flamenco. I've got great stories of him. He was like uh, the consummate guitar player, not just jazz. He knew everything. He started playing when he was five years of age. Amazing. Amazing. But he wasn't Canadian, was he? He, was, he, did, he seemed to be there a lot. They uh, they lived in Maine. His mother and father sang, like, remember the Cowboys? Gene Autry, uh, Roy Rogers, Dale Evans, yeah, Johnny, yeah. Johnny Cash, June Carter. It was a country band. They were called Hal Lone Pine and the Pioneers. And he was Hal Lone Pine Jr. So his dad would come out with fringes and a cowboy hat like Roy Rogers. His mother sang like Dale Evans. And he would be playing like Chad Atkins style guitar behind him. And they're doing Ray Price and Gene Autry songs, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, at the beginning of rock and roll rockabilly. Uh -huh. And they moved from Maine to Winnipeg, Manitoba. I don't know why, but Winnipeg, Manitoba had a station that was CKY that was 50,000 watts. And being at the top of the Great Plains, you could hear CKY all over Chicago and down south and everywhere. You heard the station all night, like, like hearing Wolfman Jack out of Mexico. Mm -hmm. A couple of hundred thousand watts. You heard that everywhere at nighttime. So a lot of people knew who Lenny Bro was, and he was just a, a really great influence on me. And then they moved to Winnipeg and stayed there about three or four years. He didn't have a house. They lived in a trailer. But when they got a house, it was right across the street from a girlfriend of mine. And it was so far and so cold in Winnipeg, like minus 40 for the whole winter long. <laughs> to go back and forth to school for lunch, it was like a pain. I used to go to these girls' house a block away, their mother, we went to the same church together and the mother would give me uh, lunch and them. They'd go back to school. There was two twins. I'd go across the street where Lenny Bro had, his parents had rented a house and oh. he would just be waking up. So every day from like one o'clock till four or five in the afternoon, I'd be there with Lenny Bro and he'd be putting on Chad Atkins, Merle Travis, Barney Kessel albums, rock and roll albums, you know, Elvis Presley and stuff like that. And learning the stuff by moving the, the, the needle on the, on the, on the record, on the turntable. Oh. And I learned that way for a couple of years. And at the end of the year, my mother came and said, something's wrong with your report card. <laughs> it says you missed 62 afternoons. And I said, I have missed 62 afternoons. I've been playing hooky every afternoon. I'm going to Lenny Bros, but I don't care about school anymore. I'm going to be a guitar player. And that started my... Then I joined the Guess Who, and I've got a Gretsch guitar, and boom, here I am with you. There you are. It's uh, now along the way, whenever you talk to a guitarist, the name Les Paul comes up. Uh, I'm I'm going to assume there's some influence from Les Paul on on your work. Well, when you're um, when you're a guitar player and you have the hunger, you listen to everything. Mm. And so I would listen to Chet Atkins. You listen to Elvis because Scotty Moore behind Elvis played like a rock and roll Chet Atkins style. You're playing rockabilly songs, but not not pure country. Uh, and then you hear about Les Paul on the radio and you hear this thing, you go, this guy's playing all this at once. And it's amazing because he invented double tracking and, you know, dubbing with tape recorders. Yeah. And uh, I'm about maybe I'm about 16. And three songs in Winnipeg are in the top 10. Via Con Dios, uh, How High the Moon, and then another one by Les Paul and Mary Ford. And they're playing in Winnipeg at a place called the Rancho Don Carlos, which is a nightclub, a supper club. Uh -huh. So without asking my parents, I get on the bus after school. I go to the other side of Winnipeg, which is about three bus transfers. And I'm there to see Les Paul. And when I get there, it's about 530 in the evening. 
And I go to the door and I say, can I get in? And the guy says, you can't get in. It's a supper club. We serve alcohol. Unless you're with an adult, you're only 16. You can't get in. You've got to have somebody over 21. You can't get in. So I go in front. I'm sitting in front of the bus stop and a black Cadillac pulls up. And the window rolls down and it's Les Paul. And he says, he's driving. He says, hi, kid. Are you here to see me? And I go, yeah, but I can't get in. He says, I'll get you. And carrying my guitar. So I carried his guitar in the back door into the kitchen. Now, this is a supper club where they're serving trays with dinner and, and drinks on. So it had swinging doors on the kitchen that had big round windows like a, a porthole on a boat. So, so the waiters wouldn't be knocking the doors into each other. So I got to stand in the kitchen next to four tape recorders that he would be running from his guitar. It was called the Les Pulverizer that was record, stop, play, rewind. He would explain to the crowd how he'd play a rhythm track, then a bass track, and Barry Ford would sing. And I'm standing beside his tape recorders watching his behind, and his son was playing drums. So it was him and his son uh, and Mary Ford. After the show, he comes in, he says, I said, can you teach me a lick? How high the moon? Teach me that lick that everybody plays. So he teaches me the lick. And it's great. And he signed my little album that I took, and I go home. Many years later, I'm with BTO. I'm opening for Van Halen, the 5150 tour. We're playing the National Coliseum in New Jersey. And Les Paul shows up to say hi to Eddie and Sammy. And he comes up to me in the dressing room. And he goes, hey, kid, do I know you? And I go, yeah, the Rancho Don Carlos. And he said, oh, come on down tomorrow to the Iridium. I play this club every night. Come on in and leave your name at the door. So I go down there to see him. And halfway through the night, he says, I've got a friend in the audience. I want to come up on stage. And I taught him some licks. And I'm wondering who this is. And it's me. And he called me up on stage. So he said, we're going to play How High the Moon. I want you to play the lick. And I did. And he said, okay, let's do one of yours. And I say, okay. And I do taking care of business. And he plays it with me. Really? And he, he had his normal guitar player with him. Uh, who the, another guy who played a black Les Paul and a, and a stand-up bass player whose name was Nikki Parrott. She was a lady from uh, a great musician from Australia. So there's a video of me somewhere playing TCB with Les Paul and Nikki Parrott and his other guitar player. That's amazing. But he he knew it, or is he just that good that he could figure out what you were he, doing? He's that good. And I said, look at three chords. And here's another thing: I go to Neil Young's birthday party a couple of years ago in LA at the Troubadour. <clears throat> And I'm there. Neil introduced me to Graham Nash and Stephen Stills and everything. And then Neil says to me, you know the story you say about Les Paul? And I goes, yeah. And he says, I was there. I go, what? I didn't see you there. He said, I was at the front table. My mother booked a dinner thing. She ordered dinner. I was eating pork chops and watching Les Paul from the front while you were watching his ass from the door in the kitchen. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. But Neil was there in the front row. That's how long we've known Neil Young. He's, he's well... He's from Winnipeg, although yeah, kind of Toronto, but yeah, you know, he moved to Winnipeg when he was about fourteen or fifteen. I met him then. I got a Gretsch guitar. He got a Gretsch guitar. He would borrow our amplifier because he had a guitar, no amplifier. And the guess who we had amplifiers? He'd call and say, "You guys have a gig next Friday. I need an amp." And we would take down the amp, watch him play. He'd come and watch us play. It was so rare to see a real amplifier and real guitar in Winnipeg growing up. There was no guitar stores. Uh -huh. They had what they call music stores. That sold organs and pianos and sheet music and, and reads for your flute, reads for your sax and saxophone. They sold every instrument going way before guitar stores. So when a guitar came in, everybody went to look at it in the window. They had like one guitar. So you would want to buy this guitar and it was gone. They were gone. You waited till another one came in. That's amazing. We're, uh, we're running into commercial time pretty soon. One quick question. You mentioned your brothers you worked with and, and 
grew up with, but who also worked with. Uh, and you've got a large family. Uh, besides your son, who had a, what was it, a top 10 record somewhere in the late 90s? Yeah, She So High was a big hit. Yeah. Um, are there other musicians in the family that uh, you you work there, with that, or just or watch at least? I watch them with great awe because all my kids play and sing just like that, just like that. They can pick up any instrument and figure it out. They just chose to be and have a normal life because they're used to their, they didn't want what they had with me. Hi kids. I'm home for a week. Let's go crazy. I'll take you everywhere. And then I'm gone for two weeks. You're on your own. Then I'm back for two weeks. And so it's such an off and on life. They didn't want that. And I I appreciate that. They wanted to just have a normal life. They all write great songs. Um, I got another son, Brigham, who's really great. He's 10 years younger than Tal. All my daughters sing like, Janice Joplin, like Aretha Franklin, like 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 Carol King. They play piano. They play. They write songs and everything. They just they chose a different life. Yeah, well, you know, you can't blame them for that. They've seen what no. you, yeah, you know, the kind of work you have to do. Although I'm sure they're very proud of what you do. It's just they're not going to do it. That's all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, we're going to uh, step away for a commercial. Given the fact that we're on radio, we're going to listen to. Um, I think we're going to listen to Let It Ride, and uh, we'll be back in a minute. This is Randy Bachman up in Canada. You might know me from my many years with the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive. I'm here speaking with my dear old friend, Mike Gormley, who was there in the 70s when BTO signed with Mercury Records. And I'm here on the Mike Gormley Show at last.
Hi, this is the Mike Gormley Show, and uh, we're I have a great guest, in, uh, Randy Backman, to tell us some stories about his how many years uh, career would you? I mean, going back to when you were fifteen. Yeah, a couple of years, <laughs> a couple of decades. I'm I'm at the vintage of Paul McCartney and uh, Mick Jagger. I've hit, I've hit the big eight zero. Wow. And I'm still rock and rolling, and I'll be in a neighborhood near you very soon, playing all BTO and Guess Who hits. You do not look eight zero, I must say. At least on this screen, <laughs> you you look much younger. Thank you. I feel much younger. I think rock and roll keeps you young. Look at Paul McCartney. I mean, guy looks great. Look at all those guys in their eighties that are. They're not just playing. They're running around the stage. They're yeah. It's it's fantastic to see. And um, so, uh, so we we left you with "You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet." We came back in with a great song called "Let It Ride." Um, there's a story behind "You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet," with the um, yeah, you know what I mean—the story with Charlie Fash and so yeah. on. Can you go into that a little bit? Sure. Um, I produced BTO, and even then, we couldn't afford a cassette, so I just produced them in my head. We'd rehearse the song. I had a stopwatch. I'd write down the form of the song, verse, chorus, verse, intro, that kind of thing. And so we went into the studio. We'd always have a song. I'd always go in with eight songs. So then you had vinyl. Classic rock's about four minutes a song. So you'd maybe get 20 minutes aside, 22 minutes aside. I always had a work song that would have a very light rhythm. So I could get a nice sound and rhythm guitar and bass and drums. And then a heavy chorus where you cranked it up and kicked in a pedal and you had a heavy chorus. So I'm there playing an instrumental jangly rhythm heavy course jangly rhythm heavy course and to keep it going i made up some lyrics and i grew up with three brothers and we all played pranks and tricks on each other and teased each other and my brother next to me stuttered and so as a big prank i said to him, I'm, i said to myself i'm gonna stutter through this song don't even know what it's about just it like he talks. Meant, it wasn't meant for the public at that point, right? No, no. It was. I was going to mix one version, and I did. I mixed one version on cassette, and I was going to send it to him. We had cassettes in that those days. And uh, Charlie Fatch, who was the head of A&R, flow in, vice president, to hear the album. Now, he's following BTO2, which is, I think, number three on the charts. BTO1 is still in the top 20 in Billboard. And he's following uh, Let It Ride and Taking Care of Business. So he comes in to hear our third album, Not Fragile. And he says to me, well, I like the album, Roll Under the Highway's great, Sledgehammer's great. I don't hear a single that's going to get you on Top 40 Radio to follow up TCP and let it ride. Which had been somewhat evasive, but the Top 40 was the one area you hadn't really conquered yet. Right. He said, you won't believe your box office and your fans once you get into Top 40 Radio. And um, the engineer said, play him the throwaway track. And I said, forget it. And Charlie said, what, is there another track? I said, my guitar is not even in tune. I don't know what I'm singing. I'm stuttering. I'm doing a bad, bad, a very bad Van Morrison in the ending going, sha-la-la-la. I'm doing all kinds of weird, stupid things. It's just a goofy track. And the engineer got it, and we played him with the cassette. We didn't even have a multi-track, just a cassette. And he played it for Charlie. Charlie said, that's amazing. I've never heard anything like that on the radio. <laughs> It seems to lift off the turntable, lift off, you know, when you play it, the, the jangling rhythm guitars and stuff. And um, let's put it on the album. I said, it doesn't fit. 
we've got eight songs. He said, I'll tell you what, let's take the five short songs, put them on one side, and we'll put this the four longer ones. So you have like the 22 minutes aside. So when you flip the record, one side won't be louder than the other. You kind of got to balance the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, let's just squeeze it on the, the last side of, of the Not Fragile album. So I said, okay. I mean, he was the boss. Yeah, right. We put it on, and he calls me up three days later. He said, all the radio stations are playing this. We want to release it as a single. I said, you're crazy. It's going to be the end of the band. It's it's bad. The guitar is out of tune. Everything's bad. He said, it's a fun rock and roll used to be fun. It was shanana, yip, yip, boom, boom, get a job. It used to be all nonsensical, fun stuff. This is fun. It's not a serious song. You're not Bob Dylan, okay? Let's let's go and do like a shot of nothing. So he released that as a single. And as you know, it went to number one in 22 countries and sold millions of copies. And it was a number one single. And at the same time, Not Fragile album became a number one album. So it proved to me I didn't know much about the music business. The business, I knew about my musical side, but I didn't know what how the business worked. Like if the DJs like it, they play it and then people buy it. That's that's your keyhole to the world. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is an interesting track to get on the radio and the stuttering aspect. Uh, people started uh, relating you or the band to the who just because of the stuttering they'd made use of. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I think sometimes said you were trying to copy them, which obviously wasn't true. But uh, it was because it was a different sort of thing, even though it was stuttering. You had used it a different way entirely. Yeah, and then they had Benny and the Jets. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Time in My Hand by Stick, ticking away. There are a lot of people that did that, but I did it. I overdid it because my brother used to answer the phone that way and talk that way. And here's what's amazing. About 15 years ago, I get in the mail a frame certificate from the American Stuttering or Speech Association, awarding that as the best stuttering song of all time. Because it wasn't making fun of my brother, it was paying tribute to him. And I thought, so I have this framed in my house. It's really cool. That's very cool. Right up there with the gold and platinum records. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, I want to, I want to find out, I mean, I know you haven't lived in Winnipeg for a long time, but so how did this this town, the city uh, in in Northern Canada. Um, Neil Young comes out of there. We talked about some of the people that came out of Winnipeg. Is it still an art town? A lot of people call it the peg and and, yeah. and, and, and meaning the artistic side to it. Did you encounter that or you just, uh, you, you don't even, I mean, it was just part of growing up. Well, you're growing up there. Um, you learn to play hockey, obviously it's a Canadian thing, but there's no indoor rinks. So as a kid, you're playing hockey and it's minus 20 below zero. Yes, I remember. <laughs> right. And the coach would phone you the night, the, the, the night before the morning of the hockey game, which is on Saturday and say, it snowed last night. Come early. We've got to shovel off the rink. We'd have to go with these big scoops and shovel off the rink and then play hockey. And they had an outdoor stove, a pot-bellied stove that was an iron stove, and sheets of cardboard. So you'd lay on the cardboard in the stove, put your blades or your skates on the stove, and they would heat up and heat your feet up. And then when you yelled, I'm thawed out, he would change the line. You'd go and escape. The other line who was on, who were frozen, 
would come and lay on the carpet and put their skates on the, this is what we grew up doing, stupidity, right? Yeah. And then you get to be 12 or 13 or 14 or 15, and you're playing little league baseball against each other in hockey, and then rock and roll starts, and you start a band. So rather than me going and playing hockey against Neil Young's team or little league baseball, I go and play their dance in Crescentwood. He comes with his band, Neil Young and the Squires, and plays West Gildonan, where I lived. All these little suburbs of like LA, you're going to, you know, the Valley, you're going to different parts of LA, just like Winnipeg, all little bergs here and there. And so you start playing in each other's community centers and stuff like that. So out of that came Fred Turner. He was in a band called the Rockin' Devils. Burton Cummings was in the Devrons. Neil Young and the Squires. I was in Chad Allen and the Reflections, who became the Guess Who. Uh, when I left that, I joined with Fred Turner and started BTO. And there's this whole musical thing that if you look at Canadian band, Colin James is our great rock and roll blues guitar player. He came through Winnipeg. Uh, Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway. He came through uh, Shoal Lake that came through Winnipeg. Monty, right. Hall, who, Monty Hall, who started Let's Make a Deal, came from Winnipeg. David Steinberg, the comedian, who basically was a part of the... Um, um, Jerry Seinfeld's show, and now Larry David. He was two years ahead of me in high school. He was the clown in high school. It becomes a world-class comedian and then writes all the Seinfeld stuff with Jerry Seinfeld. So a lot of stuff came out of Winnipeg. That was, uh, Lorena McKinnon, the great harpist, and who sang kind of Celtic music. Uh, Winnipeg was an amazing place. And it's so cold there that I said it in the song called Prairie Town that me and Neil did. You stay inside and rock and roll. So you don't go out and play hockey anymore like an idiot when you're 14. You you have a garage or your your parents let you go in your basement. There's nowhere else to go. It's 40 below. Yeah. There's snow everywhere. So you wake up on Saturday morning, you go downstairs, you plug in, and you, you're playing to records. You would watch American Bandstand every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock and see who's on Bandstand, what records are they playing, and you would copy the records. And right. so out of, that, out of that came this incredible rock and roll that when you're sh woodshedding six months of the year – and then spring comes and you're playing outside and you're playing all the high school dances and you can get around in a car. you got to bore your dad's car or somebody with a car because nobody had cars then. Out of it comes this incredible rock and roll of chasing the dream. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is I'm still in touch with Burton Cummings, Neil Young and Fred Turner. We all email each other back and forth and we do a gig together or one guy will show up and guest a couple of songs. It's amazing to know these guys since we were all 15 or 16 or 17 who've gone into the world, they call us the four horsemen of the apocalypse that rode out of Winnipeg. Right. And we're still mm -hmm. riding around the world. That's so great. it's, it's really a cool club to be in. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We are going to, um, I think we're going to come back in with taking care of business. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wanted to, um, I skipped, I moved the page over here. We're going to, uh, with American woman, and there's a great story behind that. So I'd love to hear that story when we come back from this, this commercial. Stay okay. tuned. American woman gonna mess your mind. Mm, American woman gonna mess your mind. Uh, American woman gonna mess your mind.
is the Mike Gormley Show, and we are talking to uh, Randy Backman um, and from Backman Journal Overdrive, or BTO, as it became known. And that's a band that um, amazing amount of records sold, amazing amount of hits. Um, it was the second time around for Randy because he was in the Guess Who prior to that that had amazing world following and, and several great hits. Um, I'd probably say my two favorite uh, uh, Guess Who songs would be These Eyes and American Woman. American Woman, um, you get a, there's a story behind American Woman. It's very interesting how that, that wasn't like a writing session. That was uh, nothing else to do at the moment or something. I would go ahead, sorry. Well, there's a, there's a story behind every song, yeah. but American Woman, it's like the late 60s. We are touring the States. And everywhere we go, we're, we're all like 19, 20, 21. There's no men our age. They're all drafted. Every city had no guys between 18 and 30. None. Mm -hmm. and we'd go into a town. Our whole audience was women who came to see guys. It was unbelievable. And they were like all over you. <laughs> and it gets to be a little bit much after a while because you're leaving town. You're playing a gig. You're driving away, right? And there's all these great looking women after you. And we got a gig in Canada and we're on stage and I break a string and I'm playing a 59 Les Paul with a Bigsby on it. And, and I had no tech, no tuner, no spare guitar. So Burton Cummings says, we're going to take a break while Randy changes. And we're playing a dance. So it's three hours long. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. So I'm on stage in the dark, kneeling in front of Burton's electric piano to tune to, because I didn't have a tuner. I put the string on the guitar and as I'm, tuning the guitar, I start to go. Can't hear it. Okay. Can't, why <laughs> can't a, we hear that? I don't know. That's the best I can do. Okay, cool. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So I played dun dun da 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 and uh the whole audience snaps <laughs> when I'm playing this riff this riff. And so I'm in the dark. I stand up and I'm playing. I look around. I call the drummer on. Gary Peterson comes on. Jim Kill comes on. Burton Cummings comes running on stage. and goes, this is great. What is it? And I said, sing something. What do I sing? I said, just sing anything. And he sang American Woman, Stay Away From Me. He sang it four times. I soloed. He sang it again. Song was over. This was in a curling rink where they had a curling bond spiel the next day. It was freezing. There was ice there with plywood on the ice for the odd. So audience is wearing parkas this is february the audience is wearing toques and parkas and big rubber boots and they're they're at a dance a typical canadian dance it's minus 20 inside minus 40 outside so the song came through that night the next night i started again we went a week later to record it and um we couldn't remember it so our producer jack richardson said how did you do this song on stage i said well i was alone on stage it was dark he said okay everybody leave the studio Randy, go in front of Burton's piano, tune your guitar up, see if it'll come back to you, because nobody knew what the riff was. And right. so they darken the studio like it's like the gig. I start to play the riff. Everybody runs in. We record that. Then we use that as the template to record to. Now, I don't even know if I played the same riff in the studio that I did on stage. It was close. Yeah. But out of that came that song, and that was a number one album and single for the Guess Who in 1970. That's amazing. And, and um, you know, there, there's a story that 
you guys played the White House and were asked not to play that tune, but that's not quite accurate, right? The, you, uh, I left the band in uh, 19, in May of 70. They got to play the White House in August. And wow. Burton said it was probably the biggest mistake of his life when they did not play American Woman. Wow. They should have played it. After that, Rolling Stone snubbed the guess who. Wow. I mean, the whole thing was, we don't want your war machines. We don't want your ghetto scene. It's guys from Canada. It wasn't the American Woman. It was the Statue of Liberty and that Uncle Sam wants you poster, which they used a lot in promotion with Mercury Record, they had that Uncle Sam with the little white beard and the, the top of that with Stars and Stripes and the Statue of Liberty. That's kind of what it was. It was, it's not the American lady woman on the street. We love those ladies. They're just women everywhere. Right. It was the whole thing of what it stood for. So I w was it fair to say it was anti-American by some Canadians or is that too strong? No, no, it was, it was an anti-war song. As a war song, okay. which is still relevant today. If you played it right now, how many wars are the United States in? Yeah, they're in the middle. They're always been in a. Ever since I can remember, for the last couple of hundred years, the USA has been at one or two wars all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a there's several uh, songs from the past that still that still would apply, unfortunately. In the yeah. One, but one, two, three. What are we fighting for? <laughs> country <Exactly>. joe <laughs> and, and uh i've heard there was, there was another one that went to number one uh well there was the green beret uh, yeah that song. Uh, but that wasn't that was by a by a green beret yeah yeah so sergeant was it was sergeant barry sandler right right this was anti-barry sandler <laughs> what um we, we we wow we only have about another minute to go um I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about these eyes simply because it's an incredible song that is still very powerful and it it's one of the few songs that just an opening riff and you know what it is right away and um, so we, we'll probably we'll we'll have we, we'll hit onto that that tune anyway because we'll come back from uh, <clears throat> from the break and talk about a few things so uh, okay. I. We'll talk later on. Thanks very much. And and um, this is uh, Mike Gorman's show. Come on back and uh, listen to Randy Backman's story. They're wonderful. She's come undone. She didn't know what she was headed for. And when I found what she was headed for, it was too late. She found a mountain that was far too high And when she found out she couldn't fly It was too late It's too late She's gone too far She's lost the sun She's come undone She wanted truth but all she got was lies Came the time to realize
show on KTMS in Santa Barbara and we have a great guest by the name of Randy Backman from Backman Turner Overdrive uh, BTO you remember from the from the 70s but they're still going and and in fact they're back uh, after kind of a break for a while uh, Randy what's coming up for BTO now that's back on its feet uh, we're touring quite regularly probably um three or four days a month, every other weekend, building up because it's too cold now. Air travel is tough, especially out of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, I'm playing upstate New York. We're playing down in California. We're, we just got a call to play the the Grand Prix in Long Beach, which is sometime in the summer, which mm -hmm. would be a big gig. We're doing a rock and roll cruise uh, the end of March into April, which is down in Aruba to Florida and back. So, we're doing all the rock and roll circuit, which is really great. In the old days, you didn't want to play on a, a cruise ship or a casino. Now they're the great places to play. Yeah, It's funny how it's because all our crowd goes there. Our, our audience goes yeah, there exactly. and yeah. takes their kids. And uh, it's really, uh, life is really great. It's, we're rocking and rolling in the free world. Now, uh, when we were chatting a few weeks ago, you mentioned something. You're going to be doing something in Japan. And then there's some other... There's some recordings that haven't come out, or what are you, you're, you're there's some uh, you're gonna do. Well, my lost my stolen guitar, my stolen Gretsch that was on taking care of business on it, and then these eyes and everything else. It was stolen in 1976 and lost. They found it in Japan two years ago. So mm. I went to Japan, I got another one to trade the guy, and I got mine back. That was the whole big thing going on in Japan. It was quite incredible. And while I was there, the guy who came to our gig said. I saw you, BTO, at the Budokan in 1976. I was 16. My father was the head of Mercury Records, so he took me to your show. I said, what do you do now? He said, I'm now the head of Mercury Records. I work for Universal Music here. What happened to BTO Live at the Budokan? I said, what do you mean? He said, you recorded it. I said, well, a few songs came out. He said, no, there's 18 songs. Wow. I've, now, I've now got the 18 songs. I'm remixing them. They're incredible. It was the end of a 90-day tour. As you know, we had hit number one, album and single. We toured the States with Bob Seger as our opening act. We went to London and toured with Slade and Thin Lizzy as our opening act. In Germany with Scorpions as our opening act. And then we went to Japan. So in the middle of a song, we stop and we start jamming. It's like Led Zeppelin. Robbie starts a drum thing. I start a guitar thing. And we go away from the song. Then we come back to the song. So I'm looking at mixing them right now. Nobody has these tapes now except me. I had them in my storage. And so we're looking to do a deal and remix them and have BTO live and the Budokan 18 songs that nobody's ever heard. 
That's that's amazing. Uh, and I remember hearing about your getting your, your guitar back after all these years. And um, um, it's it, that's amazing. Well, we're, we're, we're running out of time here. And uh, we are going to uh, put together a little podcast where you can find over at YouTube if you uh, want to hear some more stories from Randy. And uh, we're going to uh, move out of the Mike Gormley show on uh, uh, on radio and just... Um, uh, thank Randy. Um, thank Jeremiah Higgins for uh, helping put it all together. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. Too. Mike, I'm just going to jump in here and say that, tune into the podcast. We'll put that up and all, all the overtime will be in the podcast. Uh, that, that was Jeremiah. We let him talk every <laughs> once in a while. Oh, I was going to go by God if I could just for once. <laughs> God. <laughs> Great interview, guys. We'll see you in the podcast.
Mike Gormley Show is brought to you by Evolve Entertainment and The Jeremiah Show. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Your host is Mike Gormley. Producer and sound engineer, Graham Palmer at Surprise Studio. The Mike Gormley Show theme song is Jeff Skunk Baxter's track, Ladies from Hell, from the Speed of Heat album. Pick up your copy at jeffskunkbaxter.com. Follow and subscribe to The Real Jeremiah Show on YouTube and all podcast platforms. Let Mike Gormley help your music career. Go to laperesdev.com. Find all of The Jeremiah Show and Mike Gormley's past interviews on thejeremiahshow.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.